Welcome to See Me After Class. This is a podcast by two New Zealand secondary school teachers based in the Southern Alps of New Zealand. We operate out of classrooms that look out over the most stunning mountain ranges in the bottom of the South Island. And it's my pleasure to introduce Renee Plunkett, who is a fourth year English teacher. And sitting here with me is Chris War, a teacher with 17 years under his belt from both overseas and here in New Zealand. And Renee, apart from being a teacher, is also an avid gardener. And Chris also enjoys triathlon. This podcast is about the day-to-day realities and joys and sometimes horrors of our teaching experience in the classroom. So we invite you to listen in and we invite you to give us feedback on what you hear. This is... See me after class. And welcome along to Term 4, Week 5 and Episode 32 of See Me After Class. This episode has quite a few interesting and diverse parts to it. We've got Bagley back and she'll be talking about our vacancy we have in the English department here at school. And I'm also talking to Anna in a very extended conversation that just kept going. I was going to edit it in two, but then found that there was no point at which I wanted to stop the conversation. So I'm offering the whole thing. It's a long episode today and I'm pretty sure you'll hear from Renee who's phoning in this week so buckle in enjoy the episode and catch you next week finally we have Bagley back in our podcast welcome along Gina (laughs) thanks I'm sitting here smiling reflecting that it's been and I just kicked the table and I was told I wasn't allowed to kick the table um it's been since term one. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has. So that's, you know, three terms. And actually, when you did make an entry onto the podcast, we got a whole lot of feedback to say, when's she coming back? And I kept promising it. And I feel like quite relieved that I can actually yeah. fulfill this promise. It's well, awesome to have you back. Well, I have to say, though, my philosophy in life is always trend man, Kim Key. <laughs> so, and it works uh, with you me. Know, <laughs> so here we go. Oh, so Are they feeling it. keen out there in the world of a podcast? Yeah, we know? have to make the most of this. And, and Gina's here for a particular reason, and that is in our department, we have a vacancy for an English teacher. Yep. It's Gina's department, and we thought we... It would be worth using this channel as a way of highlighting what sorts of things are characteristic of being a teacher in our department and why people might want to come here. It's I mean, so many people straight away, whenever you say that there's a job going at Mount Aspiring College, the response is always the environment. Mm. You know, like who would not want to live here? And I just look out Chris's window now and we can see Mount Roy... And actually, you do get a glimpse of the lake. If you sit up high enough, and I am slouching, but you know, like you sit up high, there it is. It is really beautiful. Um, as, as two teachers who like to go running in our lunch breaks, I mean, come on, city slickers, do you get to do that? Yeah. You know, like we get to go down by the lake and de-stress in our lunch break. So you get the environment. That's the first thing. I yeah. think that's really important to say. I think it is. And I was thinking about the people who are flying to Queenstown this weekend for the Queenstown Half yes. Marathon so that they can get one chance to run beside the a lake. lake. <laughs> and we do it at lunchtime. We do it every day, basically. Yeah. So yes, there's, I mean, and that's not to be denied. That that uh, wider environment affects, mm. I think it affects the atmosphere of the place. Mm. And that's that's a massive asset yeah I think it's interesting because lots of people who come for jobs here often talk about and I'll be I'm always really honest you know welcome to my world of honesty Um, they talk about obviously the OP department and they talk about the environment as its influence 
on the school. I think it's really important to say, actually, as an English department, those things are not important to what we do. And actually, they're not um, what I see as strengths. So when I talk about the environment, I say it's beautiful to live here. And it's beautiful to be in these open classrooms where you get to see Mount Roy and glimpses of the lake and beautiful trees and so on and so forth. But actually, I think, um, you know, we have strengths as a department that are not based on the school's strength of OP and the hostel and outdoors. Ironically, even our learning programs, which we devise for ourselves, Mm. they're pretty urban. Yes, yes, and, yes. And yes. it's almost like we feel like because the kids are in this environment and it's an, it's isolated from a lot of the, the challenges of the world that it's our job as an English department to highlight the rest of the world to them. We, I think when they enter our classrooms and engage in our learning, we're actually introducing them to some of the harsh realities of life through our subject and asking them to think deeply about those things. And to have a critical lens of the world. Yeah. Because they are quite sheltered in this yeah. Monica bubble. Yeah. But also, I have to say, I am a lover of um, classic literature. Mm. It doesn't mean I'm doing Jane Austen Pride and Prejudice like I did at school. Yeah. But, you know, The Handmaid's Tale and... Yep, and I do 1984, 1984 and, and Killer Mockingbird. All the, way through. Yeah. the things that we love. But we also yeah. do really contemporary, fresh things as well that ask our kids to have a critical lens on New Zealand. So Boy by Taika Waititi is one of the texts that I teach. Actually, my Level 1 course does focus quite heavily on Māori... Um, the world of Māori people and issues surrounding that as well. Um, I know that Renee has done some fresher, more New Zealand-based texts too. So yeah. we do do a range of things, but again, that critical lens of our world. Mm. So you can see some of the things that we are interested in. You yeah. talked about obviously the fact that we need to design our own programs so that if you were to look at coming to our team, you have to be able to say, this is a theme that I love. Uh, this is how I'm going to devise a course and standards around this theme. And then, of course, which which was Chris's baby all these years ago when he was my boss as (laughs) HOD in this department, and then fantastically I took over. Now he had to come back under me. And it's a situation we're both happy with. Yeah, that... Chris devised it so that um, we actually sell our courses to the learners. And I know this is Chris's big baby of student agency. Um, But at the beginning of the year, we speak to our level one and level two kids and tell them, obviously, challenge level, what we're passionate about, um, theme, literature that we'll be doing, and obviously the standards we'll be covering. That may, I may have said some things again and paraphrased myself, I apologise. Um, but it's a really great thing, actually, mm. because it means that you have kids that choose you, they buy in, yeah, and you also have a bit of loyalty from the get-go, yep. but you're accountable. Yep, you actually have to deliver mm. once you've made those promises. Yeah. And the other thing about it, and I, I, I like to highlight this, mm. is that a lot of teachers and edu- educational institutions are often talk about student voice. Yes. I see this, where they get to choose who teaches them, what they teach, and to what level, as the ultimate in student agency in that way, because if we don't do a good job, then no one's gonna choose our course. Mm. And that there's no clearer message to a teacher than that, that they're not actually measuring up. So again, I think it's really important when people are contemplating 
working with us. Yes. So they realize that that level of expectation sits inside the freedom that you have to do things your own way. I like the word freedom because that's the thing. Like we are a very trusting department. Yeah. It means that um, we have these expectations. And actually, I would say as a human being, I have high expectations of everyone. Mm. So that needs to be obviously made clear. We, As a team, we expect that people are going to come in and uh, collaborate and be um, collegial and and also offer One, a lot. Yeah. But One of the things I like about the fact that you do maintain high expectations is that as someone who considers themselves as the same, mm. I feel I'm recognised. Yes. So while I know that there are standards I have to meet mm. in order to satisfy you, your satisfaction is very fulfilling. It's, mm. it's, it's really rewarding to know that the person who I'm responsible to values the effort I make. And so if you're a teacher who cares a lot and ensures that they do their work well, does what it takes to ensure it, then you're a great boss to work for. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Got to say that to your boss, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah especially on a public forum. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to say, I was coming back to that whole idea of freedom, though. Mm-hmm. You said that, and mm. that's where I was going, was that it's really nice for people to have that freedom. Yeah. And I'm really supportive of that. Mm. Doing something you love, because, of course, if you love it, then the kids are going to love it, and then the results are going to be better. I mean, and we do get fantastic results. Yes. We really do. And... It's all part of the product that has been created and the team that yeah. exists here. I was looking, in terms of results, I was looking at the national comparison charts that mm. actually are published alongside the job ad because I was looking at that last right. night. And um, I we, we, we do, without embarrassment, talk with clarity about the fact that the students get good outcomes with us but when I looked at those dashboards I don't think I even I'd realized how well oh. they do in comparison to other schools at the same level are as you us. Are talking about decile 8 to 10 schools? Or decile 10 what, schools right, yeah. and so these are in, in New Zealand for those who are listening from overseas mm. the decile rating system identifies the sort of socio-economic status of the community Mm. around a school and 10 is the highest level and it suggests that the students who go to that school will tend to have high support high resources behind them and and the performance of the schools in those areas are generally very good and even against those schools we perform very well yeah and the nice thing also because obviously as an hrd i have to write board reports that analyzes you know this type of data um, is that our external results mirror or do better than our yeah. internal results yeah. and that again says what we're all about as a team i mean it's a really exciting prospect to work with us i believe it's yeah. not said from a place of arrogance it's said from what you could get what you could gain from it as a practitioner well that's it i think the other thing that i'd like to add to that which is more from my point of view but the things that we're doing like this podcast like this micro credential project there's a whole lot of innovative practice in our department which you encourage and support which i think is another highlight of being here you're always asked to look at what you're doing and you're always asked to consider ways to be better Mm. and while it's often very much founded in the traditional methods of teaching in english there's lots of opportunities for people who want to to engage with modern methods of education as well and to and to use their classroom as an experimentation site Mm. which for me has been 
one of the most life-giving parts of working in this department is just the freedom, again, I have to keep using that word, that I feel I have to pursue my own professional development and, and, and to just engage enthusiastically with the ideas I have. I feel completely unrestricted in that, as long as I deliver the results at the end and the students and the families are happy, which of course mm. is, should go without saying. Yeah, which you do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Max. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But the other thing the kids get from that is that they're, they're entering a diverse department with different personalities presenting very different material to them in very different styles, and they get to select between those options. So there's this real variety in the department. It's not like we all do this thing this way or this is done at this time. Mm. There's absolutely like they're entering into a completely separate universe which is actually something I was speaking to Anna about even our rooms are characteristically yes. different yes <laughs> they really are they're, they're built on the same plan but you wouldn't know it when you walk into them yeah they really are a, reflect, a reflection of the practitioner that stands in front of the kids hey yeah so we're talking about this because there's a job opportunity well there's well there's like one and a half job opportunities yeah because we're looking for a fixed term as well that's true three classes Yes. Yes. So, apply. Yeah. Come and, uh, or come and speak to us or give us an email or yes. be in touch and find out more. If, yeah, Even if you're do. overseas, like New Zealand needs good teachers and we'd be very happy to attract an excellent teacher from another jurisdiction. Oh, heck yeah. But, I mean, I will say one of the things that I do look for when I have people who apply, I want to see that you have a qualification in English. Yeah. yeah. English literature. Yeah. So, Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I always say, sorry, not sorry. Yeah, no, the, the, the relevant qualification has to underpin all this. Of you, course. You can't devise your own program of learning at high levels of the school curriculum without knowing the subject. Of course. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Nice to have you. <laughs> Come back again. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I, don't, I like wave knowing to see me. Bye. Bye. Not only did Gina come and visit me in my extremely quiet classroom, but also so did Anna, and we talked about everything. Here's that interview. Anna, it's really nice to have you back. Thanks very much for inviting me. It's been such a pleasure to hear a bit of feedback from what we did the last time. Have oh, you had much feedback? I have, I have indeed. Have you? Yeah, so you've definitely been a really welcome inclusion in the conversation. Thank goodness. <laughs> and, and, and it's much appreciated. So we've, I, I've extended the invitation moments ago, actually, yep. to, for you to be, become a regular voice on the podcast well, that would be a treat thank oh, you treat for us all so thank you so much for accepting that and that means that our conversation today doesn't have to finish anything okay. it can become part of that open conversation that we're having in the yep. podcast and and so usually we locate what we're talking about in the moment mm. and at the moment for us in school we're actually sitting in a classroom that's set up for an examination <laughs> in that formal way at mm. all the desks separated mm. and it's silent and you'll notice that if you're listening that usually when we record at school there's quite a lot of noise in the background so this is quite a, a different atmosphere at the moment there is a different atmosphere but this is your classroom your ordinary everyday classroom do you find because it's set up differently as well 
it brings a formality to your classroom. It doesn't become your classroom anymore. It's not. Oh, I've had, this is the I can't use it moment. It's, I've been really? ejected from my classroom and I'm really? currently nomadic. So I'm wandering around other people's classrooms and experimenting <laughs> with what it's like to be in them, which is really interesting, actually. Well, isn't it interesting? I think what environment, the environment that surrounds you and how it affects you either as a, a learner or as a, um, as a teacher. I'm really lucky because I'm in the North Block quite a lot of the time and it's a brand new part of the school. It's beautifully constructed. It has quirky names like uh, classroom nine and three quarters. Um, the classrooms are open, quite a lot of open teaching areas as well. So there's there's a general noise and there's a general respect for each other within that teaching environment that sometimes you're doing a louder activity um, and somebody else is doing a quieter activity. It doesn't really work. So you have to obviously be much more interactive with your co-teachers. And then the light in there is lovely. The, the windows are high. Every window has inevitably the most spectacular view because of where we live in Wanaka. But they've obviously utilised that, the designers have utilised that. So it's interesting to come back into your classroom and be in a rectangle again. Yes. Do you uh, think the rectangle is restrictive? I absolutely love the rectangle. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? It's, to me, it's... Of course an, you do. Yeah. It's a, it, it fits the... For me, it's because I... Uh, re- although I really enjoy collegial relationships, yes. I also really like that when the students walk into my classroom, they're walking into an altered reality. There was a, a UK TV series, and it was probably the 1980s, yeah. called A Very Peculiar Practice, and it was <laughs> set in a university campus, and yes. there was a sign as you entered yeah. that said something like, you're entering an altered priority zone or something like that, and I feel that's what this is. So by having those those walls around us, we... Uh, able, I am able to, with my classes, create it, uh, our own universe in the classroom, and I absolutely get joy from that. I yeah. and I and I'm often thinking about how it's done. But interestingly, now that it's been turned into an exam room, mm. I don't feel I own it. It doesn't even feel like my room. Mm. Um, so even though there's all of that investment throughout yeah. the year in creating that space, that space is completely disestablished once the room's purpose changes. Isn't that interesting though? I think that happens in life again and again. You're really only a custodian of something for a short period of time. Mm. Whether that is about a relationship with your pupils in school, whether that is about owning and buying a house, because ultimately everything will be sold on again. So you have to enjoy the moment that you are working in at the time that you are because it will change and maybe these will be these buildings, these physical buildings will be moved and you'll be given a new environment. I must admit that I've, I find it really hard to do. It's really painful. I must uh, this is room 23. When and I love prime numbers, so I'm attached to it for that reason. I love the room, as you know. It's special for a number of other reasons. When I started teaching here at Mount Aspiring College, which was about 16 years ago now, this classroom had just been built, and I was the first teacher in it. And so I feel like I... It's it, like I, I acquired it at birth and, and a lot, then Chris. of course I went away and I know yeah. that like right now I'm having to recognize my transience and the room's permanence. Yeah. The fact that I'm actually not the thing, the yeah. room will will live on beyond my teaching years um, and that, that does require some humility. I have, to, mm. I have to detach myself from it but at the same time when I came back after being away for seven years... Yeah. The fact that I got my old room back, 
I think seemed obvious to everyone else okay. but was so important to me like it meant everything to be able to return to the same space right. and, and so what did it feel like coming back to that space as well having had that that time ap- apart from it uh, I just f- is like returning to an old friend <laughs> just love room 23 and it's not as you've probably as you've suggested it's not necessarily the, the best room in the school but it's the best room for me I was just going to say that it doesn't matter what I feel about it the most important thing is how you feel about it because you will then project that towards your kids which yeah. um, who then arrive at your classroom. The other thing I've um, really enjoyed over the last week is um, watching kids arrive in classrooms and leave classrooms. It's something that I've observed as my observer position. Um, is that some teachers stand at the door and we- almost welcome the, the kids in. I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Equally, some teachers stand at the door at the end of a lesson, and it doesn't have to be at the door, but there is a definite departure of have a lovely day. And Manchester College is something, an environment I've never witnessed before, where people thank you for your teaching. Yes, which, it's which extraordinary, it, isn't well, it? it is, and I'd never, I'd never experienced that before in the UK. But and interestingly, I, I like it. I like it. Oh, sorry, didn't mean to talk over you. The but the interesting thing about the UK is obviously I taught there mm. myself too, um, and I know it's not the culture there. But because I used to do the stand at the door and say goodbye thing to the students, they started saying thank you, like yeah. because I was going to pick you up on the you know the most important person who should be pleased by the room is me, and actually it should be the kids, shouldn't it? But they, <laughs> nothing but, to <laughs> but but, but it, I can't pretend that I think it's just about the kids. It's, I mean, I have made it about me, and and it's a it's appreciated that you're suggesting that that leads to the kids feeling mm. a sense of um, identity and purpose mm. in the room as well. Mm. But I think it's, it speaks to that culture in the school being created by, to some extent at least, the adults in the school, Absolutely. and and that if we initiate those interactions mm. in that way, the students just consider it to be natural to respond in kind. Absolutely. I, one of the final experiences I had of teaching in um, one of the great schools I worked in was a, a department of six PE teachers um, and very international but predominantly Scottish and I'd, I'd gone travelling as well. I'd had to leave my job and I came back to the same school and I felt a wee bit when I'd walked in there. It wasn't a... It wasn't a happy building it looked quite oppressive it looked mm. a wee bit like a prison um it, it wasn't like that at all inside but it felt like putting a heavy old overhook coat back on and then I began to teach and I remember even leaving that one before we traveled to Australia one of the kids said to me I won't do a Scottish accent because they, you wouldn't understand it's a um it's a dialect they speak is it you see Miss Cochran how come you are so happy every single day I said, you know why? Because every single day I get to come meet you and teach you. What a privilege to teach you. They thought I was absolutely bonkers, absolutely mm. off my head to be talking about school like that because surely school is something you absolutely hate. It's like a presumption, isn't it? It is. No, but yeah. we change that by the way that we present ourselves, I suppose, as teachers. I, we, I got a very kind gift from one of my students at the end of the year, which was a meme sent to me by email of a person dressed up as a teacher being excessively enthusiastic <laughs> <laughs> and saying, that's you. <laughs> that was, that's it was just compliment. like I couldn't, you couldn't, have, you, I couldn't have come up with a better thing to have given me at the end of the year. But it's, it's not it's, fake, yeah. though. No, and it, that comes across to Chris. I think it comes across with so many of the teachers here that they're um, t- people talk about teaching as a passion, and I 
I believe that comes across with you. Um, I've really enjoyed being in your classes when there has been enthusiasm. But there's been, um, let me think about varying levels of enthusiastic delivery that sometimes you draw them in, you're quite quiet and they really have to kind of strain to hear you. Equally, other times when you're presenting, it's a wee bit like a performance on the stage and it's really engulfing and everybody's getting to your level. It's quite, it's very enthusiastic. Mm. Whatever, whatever it is you're delivering, whether it's, um, whether it's a poem or whether it's some, Macb- um, some Shakespeare, if it's Macbeth. But they, they're, they can't help but be drawn along with you. And I think that's all credit to you with the enthusiasm that you bring. And sometimes I'm sure you don't feel like you're firing on all cylinders before you arrive at school, but my gosh, you present it every single You fake it really well <laughs> yeah. because you seem to, to pitch it 100% every single time. I think that might come back to the room. I think... And it reminds me of when I used to teach aerobics as well. Like, really? I remember I had to teach aerobics on the day that my partner of 10 years left me and I had to stand up on that stage. <laughs> a tragic and kind of, day. Like, it was a tragic day, but I still had to put on the show. But Five, I re- six, seven, eight. <laughs> oh, you can't count down. <laughs> but the, but the, thing I, I think, the thing that I think makes those opportunities positive for me is that I don't fake it. I just... Mm enter the altered priority zone. Mm. And while it's happening, I just am in it. Mm. It's about being really present to it from my point of view. Mm. I feel absolutely present in the classroom with the students. Mm. So whatever's going on separately is essentially put in the background and I'm not ignoring or denying Mm -hmm. it. It just has no relevance in that space. And so I return to it when the class is over. And so it means I'm not having to kind of pretend to Mm. the students. It's just that what we are with each other, and I feel like the students are like this too, because quite often they are quite different people in this room too. It's just, this is what we are when we're in room 23. And it's 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 a state that we enter as well as a location. Do you wonder then if that's what the kids learn from you when if, if Mr. Wall can do that, I wonder if I can take a wee bit of, of that away with me and just be, channel him when, maybe if I take this next step to go to college, to university, to go into my job, thinking about this time of year and um, what a lot of the kids are about to move into, move on to, what's the, been their biggest influence has mm. been about their family, their environment, their community, and you've been a key part of that for the kids that you've taught. Do they then take that You'd love to think they would. And how you teach it or how they absorb it is a really interesting thing as well. Is it that they get into the environment when they are working and then they are in a situation where they have to be mature and be grown up and they, um, they remember, they reflect back a wee bit on you and how oh, he, was, he was really enthusiastic every single day. If I can just do a wee bit of that, then maybe I could be a bit more grown up or a bit more mature. I think there's always modelling in what mm-hmm. we do. But I would also hope that, and actually I definitely think about this question you're asking a lot, because one of the, one of the risks of this scenario we're, mm. dis, we're, dis, we're discussing is that the students think that they're dependent on the individual teacher or person who mm. they're working with for that experience, that mm. it's all coming from that person. And what I'm hoping we or they discover when they're in the classroom is these things within themselves Mm. they're getting opportunities to experience themselves in particular ways that they'll start to become um, naturalized to Mm. and that because they see themselves and are able to function in these ways in this classroom which is a which is a controlled walled Mm. secure environment Mm. they can start taking the risks to 
be like that elsewhere because it, it because it's worked and it's been approved of and, and it's, it's formally sanctioned mm-hmm. by a person and authority mm-hmm. so them answering questions or loving poetry can, can become part of who they are and something they can hazard to engage in outside of the space as well if it's something they value mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that and I, and I think it's important to articulate it to them that when they achieve a success and they mm-hmm. say thank you I always thank them back yeah. because they are the one who are achieving this success absolutely and I don't want to deny their appreciation but I also want to make sure that they're clear that they're the ones that did it mm. and um and because because that persona and I'm I'm never going to deny my mm. own ego mm. but the persona you create as a teacher can overwhelm them if it becomes too much absolutely. of the focus of the classroom and I, I want I think I have a, I run the risk of doing that at times um we all do. We're all, I suppose, so self-obsessed and interested in ego in ourselves that it's sometimes quite difficult. Thinking of how you've reflected with a lot of the kids individually, though, you make the effort to speak to them publicly, but you also make the effort to speak to them individually. I think that's equally as important. You know your kids well. You know the ones who would prefer a quiet word in their ear rather than um, public approval, mm. um, pu- public acknowledgement. Uh, again, as the the TA in your classroom, as a TA in one of the TAs in the school, you see the way that the kids respond well to the public kind of appreciation. But you also see the ones that really are kind of packing up their bags a wee bit slowly, just kind of giving you a look out of the corner of their eye until they catch your eye. And even if it's a smile and a nod of acknowledgement, you can just see see them filling up with joy and leaving your class and think, yeah, he. He knows I've done okay. I've done okay. Hmm. Thanks, Mr. Wall. I think that I think often our previous careers inform our present ones, and I always thought think about how in aerobics we had to attract people to our class. So the one okay. the one the only, the only difference I see as significant is the fact that the students are in my class by compulsion. So I think that the um, the the thing I can do, the thing I probably do fake is mm. I behave as if they're choosing to be there. So okay. that I, ha- I do the things that you would do mm. in relation to people who have made the choice to join you mm. as opposed to leaning on yep. the fact that they must be there anyway. And, and that's why greeting them mm. and acknowledging them as mm. individuals and recognizing their progress and, mm. and success, it's necessary if you're going to run a a program, I'll call it, that people wish to return to. <laughs> that's yeah. been quite good. I've learned a lot from yeah. that. And Do you think there's a key stage then in their lives that they, by the age of 14, then they have the maturity to? Because I think, you know, working with some of the year sevens and eights, there's a very different conduct. There's a very different um, outward conduct when you see them as well. That they, some of them don't have the maturity, but I wonder if that's not because they're not given the opportunity to behave in a mature manner. Yes, well, I think you'll see that variety around the junior school. And mm. I'm careful about talking about primary teaching, mm. given it's not my area of mm. expertise. But I have seen some very successful primary teachers who really are very similar mm. in their way of relating mm. to students as I am. And yeah. in my whānau, I have yeah. primary age students, and they, they do tend to thrive even more on the interaction of mutual respect. It's an interesting one. Working with kids who are a lot younger as well, sometimes I find talking to them as I would talk to any of the other kids that I'm working with in an 
on an equal basis rather than um, a parent-child or teacher-child basis, asking them the question. Sometimes they're a wee bit shocked about, mm-hmm. why, is she, why is she asking that question? And giving them the space to answer and to give them the time to answer the question in the way that they would like to and probing back again, well, why do you think that? Sometimes I know as a parent, I rush, rush, rush. So to be given the opportunity as an adult to sit and listen to a child, gee, it's really good for my whole being. It's not just good Mm. for um, me as a TA or a teacher. It's good for me as a parent. I think as a wife, you'd have to ask my husband. But I think it'd be asking a mature question and waiting for a response. Yes. I think I quite like asking slightly provocative or alarming questions to younger students. Yes, I know if they say they don't like being at school, for example, I yeah. might say, oh, what would you rather be doing mm. for every day mm. for the rest of the year? Mm. <laughs> and they kind of, and it's not something they've even thought about. Mm. They just, mm. And so as soon as you ask a question that kind of forces them to contemplate the alternative mm. to the thing they're complaining about, so mm. those are just, they just... They can be processing that for a long time yeah. before they get back to you, actually. Think of it as well. What does school bring to you? It's not just about being in a classroom and learning mm. stuff. Being among your friends, being among your peers, being with people who are better than you, being with people who are from different backgrounds to you, this mm. brings so much um, variety and colour to your life. Yes. And like you say, what is the antithesis of that? Is that if you were in an environment where it was really solitary, um, that there wasn't the colour, that there wasn't the interaction, there wasn't the questioning. Yeah. What would that be like? Or, of, or in, for the older students, the conversation about what would it be like if the environment was simply curated for you? Because mm. that's what we're often asking for. Mm. But I don't think it's actually that desirable. No. It's got to be some allowances made for each individual, but each individual also for their own health and well-being, mm. needs to take have make allowances for others. Entirely. And that interaction is just, we have to find the, the sweet spot in the middle of that interaction. Which... I think one of the hardest things, though, potentially as a teacher, is finding that sweet spot for how many kids have you got in this classroom? 30, 32 mm. sometimes? Because you're not going to get it for every single one, and that's inevitable. But there will be parts of the year that you will get it for most of them. Yeah. And then throughout the year, you'd like to think, well, the broad teaching that I deliver allows everybody in this classroom to have an, a space in the year that they're really yes. firing on all the cylinders. Yes. Or they're really developing well. They're really getting it. Yes. And that is something that you're very good at when, when I think of leaving school. Obviously, we're surrounded by kids who are going through these final throws of exams. I'm really taken back to when I was at this stage even the heat in the classroom, even the um, the stillness of the mornings coming to school, and that fear, how, what's going to be asked. And looking at these kids arriving, thinking, you feel as if the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And it really, truly is at that stage of your life. Because you've no idea what's going to happen in a week's time, in two weeks' time. And there is the hope that you'll go and do the next thing that you want to do, whether that's going to university or study or take a job or take a break and do some travelling. But you've no idea and the fear is enormous. And I remember feeling that fear and just getting into what was then regarded as a college and having applied for a lot of other things as well, not being unsuccessful. And then this one opportunity came and then feeling a, a drop of success, but it wasn't celebrated as academically as some other things were within 
my friendship group, I felt as if I was a wee bit of a failure, but I had got into something. Then that opportunity allowed me to become a teacher. I've travelled with it. I've managed to get jobs with it. The people I've met have been so key. And if there was one thing that I could, uh, a piece of advice from this position as a a middle-aged woman would be, it, it is really frightening. But no matter what happens in this next stage, something will come of it. And it's the way that you approach it. Is it a good thing? Well, I'd really hope that I have made the most of every opportunity that I have. And the things that haven't gone right have actually made me a better person. At the time, they were excruciating, just mm. horrific. I'm sure you would remember some oh, similar times. I can remember. In fact, excruciating seems to characterise <laughs> the sort of first 25 years of my life. Okay. <laughs> so I'm quite happy to go back into those stories, but maybe not we right don't now. Have the time. <laughs> exactly. But I, I would think to respond to that, that in this school there are conversations about what we are doing with young people and what we're trying to offer to them. And I know that it's it's part of the discourse that we will talk about phrases like agency and resilience mm-hmm. as means to equip them for everything they encounter mm-hmm. in life, every unpredictable circumstance. Mm-hmm. It's much, and we do believe in this school, and that's, that puts us in the progressive category, mm-hmm. that our job is wider than just equipping mm-hmm. them with knowledge and expertise, but, yeah. but also all those personal dispositions that lead to being able to capitalise and make good of mm-hmm. the circumstances you mm-hmm. find yourself in. Um, I'm not saying we're there doing that because Mm. as you've rightly pointed out I teach in a rectangular classroom with a group of students sitting at desks Mm. and there's a lot of time with me standing at the front of the room Mm. talking Um, so that's pretty much not changed for the last 150 years Mm. Um, but maybe what's being said is changing. Massively, dramatically if you were to compare it to the experiences that we had at school Mm. this is unrecognisable the very fact that we have a diverse range of teachers is unrecognisable in comparison to what I experienced we were speaking a wee bit earlier on before we came on air about my dad's experience as a a boy growing up going to an all boys school and his experience of that very different in comparison to my experience at school very different entirely in comparison to what our kids are experiencing here at Mac. How lucky are we to be in this evolution of change and development and to value key things like relationships being such an important part, not just within the classroom with the kids, but relationships across Fano, across um, drawing on other teachers, looking to other teachers to give us a to make us better, to improve ourselves as teachers or as um, educators or as support teachers. Because then our kids can see us developing, our kids can see us improving. It's, a, it's an ongoing mm. situation. This is not just about being a child. And I think the, th- the component to add to the conversation is that notion of baby in bathwater. There are things about traditional education mm. that I think are enormously valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think accessing the academy, having security in knowledge in some aspects of human history, science, mathematics, literature, mm-hmm. give young people a, a powerful platform on which to grow mm-hmm. and develop their own intellect as well as their own selves. And mm-hmm. I, I, but, I, but I think the reason that we have a conversation about 
all of these things is that they are interrelated. And I actually don't think students do particularly well in a hostile environment. So if we can create warmth and safety, Mm. and that's interpersonal, Mm. then that other stuff can be delivered along that channel so much more effectively. Entirely. I'm always amazed at how despite environments kids learn think of people in Afghanistan think of people in Syria they're desperate to learn to make better of themselves Mm. and despite the horrific conflict that's going on in their environment they learn Mm. in our environment where we're surrounded by incredible calm and beauty some of the time apart from when the wild weather comes that we are in potentially a great situation to learn and learn well but it's all about stars aligning, isn't it? Though? Yeah. It's all about the right teacher, the right place, the right um, classroom. Mm. Just the, right, the right season, I think, for some of the kids as well. Truly. One of the things that often terrifies me is, and, and, and I hear the good side of this comes mm. back to me, is when you issue a phrase, maybe an ill-considered phrase, you just say something. Mm-hmm. And that one phrase lands on a student in a particular way that changes things for them and they remember it forever and I know that happens because I have students who have come back and quoted me you know 15 years later you said this in this classroom and for me it changed everything and it's like lovely because they're telling me obviously because they're actually reporting it back because it was a positive thing for them but I'm just terrified about the other side of that you know what about the phrases that land on a student and uh so uh, devastating to them that they'll never forget it. And we hear those phrases reported to us, don't Entirely. we? And think about our, our experiences as kids growing up in schools as well. There were the teachers that would say things like that. I think mm. that has broken part of my heart yes. and it will never recover. Equally, there were other teachers that didn't necessarily have to say anything. It would just, being in their presence would just make yeah. you feel calm, nurtured and respected. And as a child, that's pretty much a great environment to be in. I remember on my final uh, seventh form, so that's year 13 report, the the covering statement on the front of it said, Chris is a liability in the classroom. (laughs) I think that... (laughs) That should be up above your whiteboard. I think I needed it. Do it. It's my motto now. (laughs) (laughs) Back. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, things things have changed. Yep. Well, maybe they haven't. Imagine though having the, the power as a teacher to write a comment like that. Comments like that were written, I've written, my dad, love him, God love him. He gave me a whole bunch of my old reports from when, from being in primary one up until probably sixth year. And I had just had a baby, I was quite emotional, and he gave me these and I started reading them and I had to stop thinking, this is such a sad little story. Mm-hmm. Because there were bits that were, yeah, they were great and she's a lovely girl, you know, takes part in the classroom, really good. There were other parts that demonstrated failure again and again and again, which is clearly supposed to be some sort of educational <laughs> learning thing yeah. for me, age six. Yeah. But it, it really, really affected me, and I felt like I was failing because of the language used. Mm. Now, we've talked about language before. Um, and because of that, I always felt as if I wasn't quite good enough for part of school. But in other areas of school, I really flourished. I really was um, taken on board by departments where I thoroughly enjoyed um, English. I thoroughly enjoyed PE. I enjoyed all the creative things, probably just because I'm a bit of a show-off. But then that's sometimes about performance, isn't it? About Mm. being a a teacher is about performance. Um, 
But the words that that landed the hardest were always really just dropped in one or two words that really affected long, long term. So I can't read them now. I will never read them again. Oh, that's funny because it's a shame you say that because I was going to say we should get, I've got 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 the the same package. Oh, do you? And it would be quite interesting (laughs) in a podcast to get it out and just read some excerpts from our, because I mean, here we are in our um, middle life, (laughs) being euphemistic. And, um, And how, just because what we're talking about here is the impact that we have on the lives of these people. Yeah. What what impact did our education and those key moments yeah. like reports have on us? Yeah. Those phrases that you half remember. Yes, yes. And, um, and, and have forgotten the context for sometimes You're as well. You're absolutely right. It's all about context because there was a larger, uh, there, was, there were larger paragraphs, there were larger sentences, but those are the words affected and yeah. hurt. Yeah, and we're so much like that. Well, I think even though the bells aren't ringing in this school at the moment, I think I need to get on with the next step. So, so do really nice to talk to you. Thank you. We'll be speaking again regularly. So welcome along. And thanks very much. Thanks for all of that. See you next time. Hi, this is Chris's phone. You can try and leave a message. Hi Chris, uh, happy Saturday from Queenstown today. I've been over here with some of our colleagues that have been running in the Queenstown Half Marathon and uh, it's been a bit of an experience for me. I've never um, attended an event uh, all, around, all about running or anything to do with a marathon before so I've learned quite a lot today uh, and I've definitely decided it's possibly not my cup of tea to try and run for 21 kilometres um, just the look on some people's faces as they come up that final hill in Queenstown. It just looks really difficult. But um, it's been really good. And it's been a week, hasn't it? Like, I don't really feel like I've had time to even stop and talk to you. We've um, had all these non-contacts. But in reality, they just evaporate. And I think I mentioned that to you earlier in the week when I managed to grab some time with you. Um, my year 10s, I, I've finished all of the marking for the year. It's a wee bit of a celebration feeling. Finally, everything has um, marked. All of the top of class calculations are done and I'm now onto my report writing, my final big administrative task for the year. And then we'll be back into, hopefully, more time freeing up after that. But I just wanted to check in, see how you are and say I'll see you on Monday. Bye. This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week. <laughs>